Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Food Peddlers Podcast. And today we have a very exciting guest for you. Name is Dr. Caitlin Youngquist. She is the University of Wyoming Extension Educator for Warland, Wyoming. And she also has a PhD in soil science. No big deal. So, <laughs> uh, so she knows quite a bit about soil. And um, she's got a really exciting project that uh, she's working on, and I guess the whole state of Wyoming is working on. And I'm sure she'll clarify uh, exactly who's putting this together um, about ancient grains. Or actually, no, it's called, they're not called ancient grains. You're calling them... We're calling it the Wyoming First Grains Project. But it is typically called, they're typically called ancient grains, and that's where you'll see most of the marketing and advertising for these ancient grains products. We have um, trademarked the Wyoming Ancient, the Wyoming First Grains Project to give it a little bit of a name recognition for us in Wyoming. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense because I think there's a lot of confusion out yeah. there about all that yeah. all that grain stuff. Yeah. So so very cool. So um, do you mind elaborating a tad about um, your position and um, what exactly you do as an educator? I think you do all sure. sorts. You wear tons of different hats, right? Yeah, working in Extension is really fun. There's never a dull moment. There are way too many good projects um, that we get to do, and I have some great colleagues. So part of what my job is is taking the good research and good work that's coming out of the University Land Grants system in Wyoming and other states and then helping get it into the hands of the people that need to use it and I primarily work with in ag- with agriculture producers and a little bit of uh, with gardeners and horticulture my specialty my background is soil science soil management and I do a lot of work with compost as well so it's a lot of fun we get to work on some really interesting projects this first grains project is not actually very specifically focused on soil science but I think it's a really neat project in looking at opening up some potential new markets for Wyoming producers um, connecting producers with the, with the local foods market here in the state and looking at some crops that are maybe lower intensity in terms of inputs of water and nutrient inputs and crops that we can grow here to replace maybe some of our other grains we've been growing. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's so cool that the, the state of Wyoming is putting this project together. And, and exactly who is the organization putting this Neolithic brand together? Sure. That's what it's called, right? Yep. Neolithic? Mm-hmm. So the Neolithic brand of grains, or the Wyoming First Grains Project, is a project specifically of the University of Wyoming. Um, it's, it's a collaborative effort between several faculty members and extension folks, and we've got some good support from the university from some of the entrepreneurship funding that's coming th- through the university as well, and we just recently received a research grant to go along with it that will allow us to do some more detailed research on-farm looking at the water and nutrient use of some of these first grains crops. So that that really will help a lot too. It's definitely a collaborative effort. Um, I'm working with, with Carrie Eberly, who's a um, small grains research specialist down in the Lingle area, and I'm working with Tom Folk, who's an um, economist on campus. And then we're also working with Mike Moore, who runs the um, Wyoming Seed Certification Service there in Powell. So it's a great team, and we're really excited about it. And we're just, we got our first harvest off um, this last fall of Emmer and Spelt. And we've got, we got um, quite a bit of that delivered down to Wyoming Malting down in Pine Bluffs. They've got the first batch malted, and we're going to start distributing that to small, um, small breweries. And then we also have some of the grain that we will be milling and distributing to bakers uh, and restaurants and looking at how that grain can be used, what the flavors are like, how people if people like it, and starting to build that uh, Wyoming First Grains Neolithic brand recognition. Awesome, awesome. And it, like I said, I think this is such a cool project, again, because um, whatever the state of Wyoming can do to, to incubate business here, I think is really exciting, especially in the farm-to-table space. You know, it's just such a huge deal. 
Um, and it's just exciting for me to be kind of in the middle of that and seeing um, young people my age who are trying to start a business doing anything farm to table and then um, people who are in their 60s that are really getting back into the farm to table thing. So I'm, I'm seeing it from all different directions and it's really exciting to see it from um, the state of Wyoming, University of Wyoming. Um, and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, go ahead. It is, it is fun. It's, it's a fun project to work on because it brings in so many different aspects. It includes production, it includes the marketing, it includes the processing. Um, and the idea is to build this brand and build the market and then be able to spin this off into the private industry um, so it doesn't stay under the umbrella of the university forever. So that's our hope. I know there's a lot of interest in Wyoming-branded products, cowboy-branded products. Um, both in within Wyoming and but outside the state, there's a lot of interest, and we have a real reputation for quality when it comes to seed and agricultural products, and we have good clean air and clean water here, and so it's really fun to be able to build some of these brands and um, hopefully also just increase the local consumption of locally grown agricultural products. We don't eat the grain really we grow here. Most of it goes into malting barley, um, and so it's really fun to be able to be growing some grains that people are going to consume here in Wyoming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, how did this project start? It, 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 did whose idea was it? Um, have you guys done this stuff in the past, building brands? No, I have not worked on it. There may other folks may have done some of that work. This kind of was a happy coincidence, really. I, several years ago, I was visiting with some of the producers in the Bighorn Basin, and I heard a little bit of grumbling about changing in the malting barley contracts. Most of our producers have contracts with uh, Miller Coors, and those contracts do fluctuate. Sometimes prices change, or they cut acres. And so sometimes people are looking for other things to grow, and so I got looking into some different alternative grain crops that people could grow with the existing equipment and expertise they already had. They knew how to go grow small grains, and they had the equipment. And so I wanted to find some of the other grains that maybe you could include into that rotation. Maybe they could sell at a premium. So I, I, I bought a little bit of Emmer seed from Montana State University, their foundation seed program, and I picked up some purple barley from a, from a um, cooperative up in Montana and some flax and a few other things, and we grew some small plots at the Powell Research Station. Didn't really have a long-term plan for it, but just wanted to... Um, sort of see what we could grow and look at it and kind of demonstrate it. And then simultaneously, unbeknownst to me, there was an economist working in, uh, on campus, an extension economist, Thomas Falk, and he was starting to look into the um, spelt and a few other things. He had traveled to France and found mention of spelt in a cookbook and didn't know what it was, and so he looked it up and got started getting excited about these grains. And so we were kind of pursuing them from different, at, at the same time, unbeknownst to the other, and then at some point, a uh, colleague connected us and, and put us on the same project, and that really has, it's really gone from there, and it's been really fun. We've had a lot of support from university administration. We did get some, some a grant f to support some of the um, production research. We um, have some funding now to purchase a de-holer, which will help us with the processing. So there's a lot of things that are um, that are moving along, and it's just fun to have that coming together. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I uh, it, it seems like the, the first grain slash ancient grain movement is a big deal across the entire country right now. A lot of people are interested in um, using grain that has not that's not that monoculture industrialized version and seeing the different flavors of bread mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. I was actually just listening to a podcast the other day um, called The Farm Report and it's this podcast based in New York but they were interviewing um, this guy named Bob Quinn up in, and he's a Montana farmer 
and I believe he's the guy who was the catalyst of the Kamut grain, mm-hmm. which is a really big deal. That's mm-hmm. in Bob's uh, Bob's Red Mill, mm-hmm. um, and it's that's a patented grain. Yeah, it is. My understanding, yeah, yeah. it's a proprietary variety, and so they they own that variety. They can they can sell you the seed or not, or they can li- that, that variety is licensed to them. It's not a public variety, and there are a few different. Um, there are, a lot, there are a lot of different seed varieties that are that way, but that is their their niche there, and they really developed that market and worked hard on that. So yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing he mentioned was that uh, Montana has a sort of similar growing season to here, and that it's ideally positioned to grow. Uh, grain because the grain is stressed when it's growing, so there's going to be more protein in it and uh, stuff like that. Is is that the same case in Wyoming? I don't know. You know, I don't. That's a really good question and one that I do not know the answer to. One of the appeals of these uh, ancient grains or first grains, as we're calling them here for our production systems, is that they um, they do not yield as much as our modern grain varieties, and there are some very good reasons why we don't grow them very much anymore. Sure. One of which is they just don't yield as much as our modern grain varieties. Um, they can be challenging to grow. They tend to lodge, which means their seed head gets too heavy for their stalk and they fall over, which is a real issue when you're producing them. The other advantage to them, however, is that you, they, they produce very high protein on very low inputs and they can produce better with l- less water and less nutrients than some of our modern varieties. And so that becomes an advantage too in terms of looking at sustainable production and, and using less inputs. Uh, the other thing is, as I mentioned, they are higher protein typically. Uh, however, that protein quality is not comparable to our modern wheat varieties in terms of baking. And so a person who's going to use these grains for making flour and baking is going to have to really modify some of their recipes, or maybe they're best mixed with more, some of our more modern wheat varieties or more typical baking flours. They're going to have um, uh, different flavor profiles for sure. And some people who who some people who eat them claim that they are easier to digest. So people who may have a gluten sensitivity or may have a hard time with our our modern wheat, um, they claim that these emmers and spelts and einkorn is another one that we're going to be growing this year, are easier to digest. Mm. So we're also working with one of the nutrition faculty at UW who's going to be doing some nutritional testing on them as well, and that'll be forthcoming. It'll be interesting to see what we pick up there. Very interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, and this is stuff I, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was yeah. just doing another podcast with a guy today about beef and how, uh, you know, there's just thousands of different varieties of, of beef out there, and I think the same applies to mm-hmm. uh, wheat. And um, I heard cocoa beans. There's thousands of different mm-hmm. kinds and thousands of different flavors and protein Absolutely. levels and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's what's really interesting is you're growing four different kinds, correct? We're going to be growing. We grew Emmer and Spelt last year, uh, and the variety of Emmer we grew was Lucille, and that's a Monta- Montana State University Foundation seed variety. And then we purchased some einkorn from a farmer out of Nebraska. It's called uh, Stone Age <laughs> is the variety on that einkorn. And I, we also purchased a blue tinge emmer. It's called Ethiopian blue tinge emmer, also from Nebraska. And I'm really excited to get that in the ground this spring. Uh, the whole, that's a whole list variety, so the whole comes off of it, which is an advantage for processing. And it's got a slight bluish purple tinge to it, which makes a, almost a gray tint to the flower. And um, from what I understand, some of the bakers who've been using it really, really like it. It's got great flavor. So I'm excited to start experimenting with that. Um, it also, re- you know, this project also relies on, on chefs and bakers who are excited to try this product and who can really highlight the flavor and the quality of it and then who can share that with their customers or their clients. So that will be a fun thing to start working with as well. Yeah, I can't wait to try some blue bread, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've fun. never had blue bread before. Yeah. Um, so what kind of producer is best suited to grow this this grain like what size what 
um, you know. Yeah, anybody who's growing, who is growing small grains now, who's growing a malting barley or a wheat or or anything like that, would be very well suited to grow any of these grains. And also, it should be someone who's who's willing to experiment a little bit, be a little bit creative. You have to be very careful not to over fertilize. Like I mentioned earlier, they they have a tendency to lodge or get too big of a seed head and fall over. So it's important not to over fertilize. Um, they can go with a little bit less water based on the research we've been reading, but again, we're going to start doing some of those trials across the state. Um, we have just received some um, funding for some research that we will be putting plots on five farms across the state, uh, working with five different farmers to grow these crops and get some data from them and see how they like to grow it. We'll be also growing it on the research farms. So by next year, we hope to have seed to sell to anybody who would like to grow some. Uh, right now, we're growing it all conventionally because we don't have... Well, we're growing it mostly conventionally. We have one organic producer in, near Sheridan who will be growing a little bit for us. Everyone else is conventional, and the research stations are all conventional at this point. Mm -hmm. um, we hope to move towards um, production at some point, depending on what the market wants. The market for most of these um, ancient grains and first grains tends to be organic because I think it fits into that niche in the health food market. Um, but we don't have a lot of organic ground in the state. So mm -hmm. that'll be something I'll be very curious to see where the market goes. If having it be local is, it, is enough for people or if they also want it to be either labeled as chemical-free or organic as we go forward, I'll be really curious to see what the market wants. But that'll be something we'll be starting to experiment with as well. And it may very well be that because it does well with a lower nutrient soil, it may lend itself to an organic system, but I don't know yet. Yeah, there's only one way to find out, yeah, right? You know, yeah. it's just trying to, to get it out there yeah. and seeing what people like. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully, Farm Table West will be a part in, in distributing yeah. that. I'm really that'd excited be, that. Really and, then, and anybody else uh, around here that's, there's only like a bazillion bakers around <laughs> sure, here that'd be interested sure, in playing sure. with this stuff. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. playing with some free um, local flour and grain will be yeah. exciting for them for sure. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so very cool. And um, so it hasn't been grown in the past in general just because it's very difficult. Um, like, do you know when the last time these kinds of grains were grown? Like thousands of years? Are we talking thousands of years? Well, they were domesticated of thousands of years ago. They sure. were really our early, early grains. So einkorn came first, was the first domestic, one of the first domesticated grains, uh, has the fewest number of chromosomes. And then emmer was next, sort of in the historical timeline, followed by spelt. And spelt is much more commonly grown now. Uh, it's, e it's the easiest to grow. It's had a lot. There's been a lot of um, work done to, to breed varieties of spelt that still that are still easy to grow. Um, emmer has had a little bit of work done in terms of um, breeding and uh, crop improvement. And then einkorn is the our oldest variety. Um, but a lot of people just really love those the flavor of that einkorn and find that it's very easy to digest and they really like it nutritionally. So we'll be growing all three of those, as well as that blue um, emmer that I mentioned. Uh, there's actually record in the old Worland newspaper, the Worland Grit, right around 1910, 1915, there was a cereal factory in Worland that was making emmer cereal, like a flaked cereal product. Oh, cool. So that's kind of a neat little bit of Wyoming history there. Yeah. And there are, of course, this grown, there, there, these grains are grown all over the world currently. They're just not grown on the scale that our modern wheat varieties sure, are. Sure, sure. Because they're harder to grow, they yield less, and they're harder to use in terms of our modern white fluffy breads that we like so they sure. just they have an important niche and there are if you look on the shelf at any store now you'll see ancient grain cereals ancient grains muffins bread but it's, it's definitely um there's more consumer interest in it now um being developed as well so absolutely yeah no i and like i said i see that all the time um especially with things like quinoa becoming mm -hmm. really trendy all sorts mm -hmm. of different types of grains not even just wheat yeah. are becoming a big deal absolutely. Uh, because of that protein content especially with um the rise in plant-based eating too mm -hmm. like i used to be vegan 
I'm not vegan anymore, call myself a recovering vegan. Sure. Not that there's anything wrong with being vegan, there's not. Uh, but it's really handy to have products like this where the protein content's super high. I believe, like, and I can't speak for this, I don't know what uh, the protein grams per cup or whatever would be, but uh, a lot of vegans and vegetarians are looking for something that has, oh, anywhere in the neighborhood from 10 grams of protein to, like, uh, I think soy has is like the highest density in protein for any plant-based product. That's interesting, I, I didn't know that. I believe it's like 16 grams per cup. Mm. Don't quote me on that, I don't remember. Sure. But I remember in one of my vegan handbooks, it was like the top sure. dog. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Sure. So, well, um, these do come in high protein for grains. Um, Zamor came in around 17% protein, depending on the field, oh, of course, and where it's grown. Sure. So so it does come in, it's, it's a high protein grain. And it's a good point. I didn't think about it for a plant-based diet that that would be really valuable. Yeah, so there you go. A whole other market right there, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, is, is there a plan to um, expand this product outside of Wyoming as well? Yeah, we're looking... Because obviously it's shippable. It is. It's yeah. very shippable. And so we have our first load that went down to Wyoming Malting down in Pine Bluffs to get malted. And then they're going to distribute it to some of their customers this year or the first year at no charge. Um, to help people sort of develop some recipes and try it out and see if they like it. And so there, that will be Wyoming breweries as well as the Front Range in Colorado to start out. Sure. And then we'll see where the interest is next year. Hopefully we'll have some seed to sell and hopefully we'll have some product as well and some starting to develop those markets and see if people like it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, can't wait to see how that all goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you guys, have you guys tested out the flavor profile at all? Do you know what it tastes like? No. Just no, so it. I just picked up my batch of grain that's going to be um, used for, malt, or for baking and, and um, cooking with. And I have a mill, so we'll start milling that flour and um, sharing it with people. So we're just in the very early stages of starting to... Um, to use it for cooking and whatnot, so I guess that'll be Jury's podcast number two. Yeah, yeah, that'll be part two. So but the interesting thing about it that we gotta is, do that a is part challenging, two. that goes back to your question about why we don't grow it very much anymore, is that these, our modern wheat varieties are what's called a holeless or free threshing. So when you um, harvest the field with a combine, the chaff and the, the hull of the grain comes off, and what you have is what's called the naked grain, and that can go right into a mill and can be sure. used for cooking. Now these these emmer and einkorn and, and a lot of the spelt varieties they are not free threshing. So once you harvest them, the the hull stays on, and then it and it protects the grain. But then once you have it, you cannot just put that into a mill. It's too much. It's too much fiber and too much chaff, and so it needs to go through an additional processing step, a deholing piece of equipment that's a deholer that then pulls that hull off the grain to give you the naked grain. So that additional step is takes time and money to do. And so that's another reason why we don't grow these as much anymore. Sure. And that's why we're really excited at this blue emmer, and I have another, I got a few pounds of another einkorn that's a hullless or free-threshing einkorn, and we're going to have to do a seed increase on that. But there are some varieties out there, um, but that just adds another additional challenge to the process of it and an additional step. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, I, so for the harvesting of this stuff, um, are you actually going out there with a scythe and just no. doing it by hand? No, or how does are, that so work? we grew larger scale um, acreage on the research stations last year in Powell and Sheridan and in Lingle. Okay. And so they're harvesting them with their, plot, with their research combines. Okay. Um, so we're harvesting on a large scale. Now when we, take two, when we have two pounds of seed for something, and that's all we have, then mm. we do a seed increase where you're planting it by hand, you're harvesting it by hand, every, until you can just get more and more and more seed until you get enough to grow something on a larger scale. Okay. So that's, that's just that we have one variety we're doing that with. But most of it all, it's all grown on a, on a farm scale. Sure. It's a full-size tractor combine. Deal. Now, and, and I'm so ignorant. Like when you're doing stuff by hand, 
Are you literally going out there, like in the movies, with a little bag, and you're just throwing the seed sure. out there, kind of like that, sure. and then coming back with a scythe? I would actually sure. love to sure. handle sure. a scythe. I've never done <laughs> that be before. Kind of <laughs> so with these two pounds, it won't be broadcast. The other thing is that okay. when you are planting these grains, they're getting drilled into the ground, uh, and so it would, when I drill, it's a, it's a planter, but it, it plants it in rows, right? Sure. And so we will be doing that when we have only a couple pounds of seed and we're doing a seed increase. We'll do that by hand while you just, you'll plant it in rows in the ground and you'll cover it up carefully and you'll grow it. And then you'll come back and, and we'll harvest by hand probably. Okay. Once you get these larger scale, they're planting the same way they're planting malting barley with these grain drills. They're planting them behind the, putting it behind the sure. tractor and then coming back with a combine header and harvesting it. That yeah, way. and that's got to be the only intelligent way yeah. to really do it. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. just kind of joking about this. But, but we, when we do our seed increase, I'll let, if we use a scythe, I'll let you know. You can go yeah, out. Yeah, let me know. I'd like cool to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I would do a video. I would get all excited It would be that, pretty yeah. fun. It's a good exercise, actually. Yeah, it has yeah. to be good exercise. Mm -hmm. Let's get a suntan, you know, mm -hmm. the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. um, very cool. So the goals with this project, I'm assuming, and you'll have to correct me on this, is you're trying to develop a Wyoming-based product um, that is a sustainable business, essentially, mm -hmm. right? So, so you're trying to build a market for a product that um, small farms or mid-sized mm -hmm. farms around the whole state can mm -hmm. can grow in into a ready-made market. It's almost kind of like what I'm trying to do with Farm Table West is building a market mm -hmm. for all sorts of products. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what you guys are doing is going to be a lot bigger, faster. And the cool thing about it is that you've got you've already got like a ton of ready-made markets because you can do the malting. And the brewery thing is such a big deal in Wyoming, yeah. man. Yeah. I've got a bunch of breweries I could um, point you out to today. Yeah. Um, and you've got the the baker bakery market, so you can have it into a ready-made mm -hmm. product, and you could just sell the grain. Absolutely. As it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm assuming that's what the goals are, right? You're yeah. just trying to build a system. So we're looking business. at finding looking at alternative. Um, products that Wyoming producers can grow that will fill niche market and premium product and then at the same time developing um, we're trying to help them learn how to grow it here as well as helping to develop the markets to create a sustainable business model that can be spun off in the long term into the private industry so it does not stay under the university forever. Sure. And how would that work exactly? So like you just kind of find an entrepreneur out there who's interested in... To be honest, I don't know and that's above my pay scale and I try to avoid... <laughs> that involves going through the university legal department and all yeah. the other stuff. But I think the business would be sold sure. in some form or another or the university might keep a small stake in it or something if it were to be successful. If it's a miserable failure, well then we track it up to research and that's what, how you learn. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we hope it's a success and we hope that there's someone who would be interested um, and buying that or spinning that off as, a, as, a, as their own industry, as their industry, you know. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, well, and maybe somebody like Bob's Red Mill or sure. a company that's already sure. big could buy well, it. Well, maybe it'll become a grower cooperative. I mean, I really don't know. Um, I guess any, anything's um, possible. I think this is a good role for the university in terms of yes. taking some of this risk that it's too much for one producer to take on. We can throw a lot of um, different brains behind it, work on it from all different angles, develop some of these markets, learn how to grow it, work with producers, work with researchers, work with marketers, um, to see if this is going to have legs and see if it's going to be able to stand on its own. And that's a lot of risk for a producer to take yes. on by themselves, and so that's something that we can, we can do with them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a lot of risk to take on all of the marketing of it and everything, mm -hmm. too. So I'm really excited that you guys are reaching out to people like me sure. and other marketers around the, the area. You know, I, I've never really had an experience where I've been approached by, you know, the University of sure. if anything sure. or, uh, sure. or you know, the state of Wyoming on this kind of stuff. And I think yeah. it's beautiful. I think... Uh, the working together with all of the different organizations and, and factions or whatever, if you will, um, in the farm-to-table space, I really think that's the future of making it a big deal. 
Um, so I'm very excited about it. I think um, hopefully our listeners are very excited about it. I'd love to have you come back on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, six months to a year yeah, from now, once we it. actually yeah. know yeah. a little bit more about this and uh-huh. after we have our meeting today and everything yeah. and talk. So um, so thank you so much for, for yeah. being on the show, Kayla. Thank this you, thank awesome. you. And I'm, I appreciate it and I'm excited to see what happens. And um, if folks want to know more... Um, they can just, they're welcome to give me a call or, or Zach can put you in contact, but my number in Washakie County is, uh, 307-347-3431. You're welcome to give a call and I can, um, point you in the direction of some of the products or get you connected with some of the grain or flour if you're interested. And Zach, I think will be a good resource there too. So, um, thanks for the invite and I'm excited to see where this goes. Absolutely. And, and just to reiterate, the brand is called Neolithic, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Well, I, I would say where it's going to be, but we don't really know that yet. We still got to talk about yeah. that today. Yeah, we don't know where it's going to be yet, um, but you can. Um, we'll keep you yeah, posted. We'll keep you posted. <laughs> I don't, I'm not trying to wrap this up, Zach. But anyway, no. So, for those who are interested in more information, um, they can track me down at the office, or they can get a hold of Zach, um, and we can we can get you some more information or help let you try out some of the flour or the grain. Absolutely, and we'll include your contact information in the uh, bio oh, and uh, okay. description of this podcast and all that good stuff. So, so again, thank you so much, Caitlin, and thank you all for listening, and have a wonderful day. Thank you.